My name is Andy Dorado. This is Furthermore. We take the month's bestseller from the New York City bookstore where I work, we read the first 50 pages, and we decide, would we delve in or would we shelve it? On today's episode of Furthermore, February 2020's bestseller, Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. Now, while Risa and I were moving and prepping for a new baby, Kylie Reed's debut novel was outselling every other book at the store by a wide margin. My guest Jasmine helps me dig into, honestly, what was one of the best first chapters of a book I've read in a long, long time. But even with that, did Jasmine and I delve in or did we shelve it? Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Furthermore. It is me, Andy, and tonight I am joined by, well I say tonight because it's, you know, very late at night. I am joined by Jasmine. Jasmine, hello, how are you? Hi, I'm good, how are you doing? Jasmine, what is your last name? Jasmine Edwards. Edwards. It is tradition that I make everybody tell me their last name on the podcast. Even people I have known yeah. for like 10 years, I'm like, what's your last name? <laughs> like, why do you need this, Andy? Just <laughs> so Jasmine, welcome on to the podcast. I know you from Risa, actually, because you and Risa went to school together at NYU, which of course means that you are a music therapist. The only yeah. other music therapist so far to be on the podcast besides Risa, our friend Scott, is actually starting music therapy school in St. Louis this semester. So, oh, just, so cool. I have all the music therapists on the on the podcast, but what tell me and tell everybody a little bit about yourself. So, I'm a music therapist <laughs> like Risa. <laughs> I work at a in a pediatric medical setting and I work with kids 0 to 25 basically nice. trying to work on all kinds of different goals from pain management to supporting sleep, relaxation, self-expression, regulation, all that good stuff. I love music. I've been singing my entire life. <laughs> And I feel really lucky that I found a way to use something I'm so passionate about in my everyday life and to hopefully make some degree of impact, so. Yeah, well, and thank you for, for being out there and doing this. You've been working through the whole the whole COVID crisis, right? Yeah, I like started this job the first week that things got real yeah. in, New, in New York, yeah. which has been very bizarre. Yeah, it's been has a crazy it, time. Has it been okay there? Have you had some, some pretty bad cases? It, it got pretty hectic. I mean, always in pediatrics, the numbers were low comparatively, but there yeah. was a time when we had a whole unit of COVID kids, and um, there are all kinds of barriers in terms of how we provide care for those kids, so I couldn't go in the rooms and try to figure out technology, and therapy's not really the same over technology, right, right. especially music therapy, you know, really not be able to play simultaneously. But then things got a lot better, and things, you know, knock on wood, are a lot better. Um, yeah. I think everybody is kind of cautiously optimistic now at this point in time, but... Yeah it's, yeah, it's a lot better physically. Now, I'm sure now it's a little more, you know, with your, your PPE and all your stuff, but one of the things I thought was so interesting when Risa started working in hospitals and stuff, being a, a musician myself and playing instruments is that she was like, I had to learn how to play guitar with gloves on. And I can't imagine doing that. Have you? And, and now I can't imagine doing it not only with like gloves on, but a mask. And, you know, Risa's always like, I do that every day, even before all this stuff happened. But how do you do that? I can't even imagine. Like, yeah, it is. It's weird. The gloves are really hard for me. I rip the gloves because oh, my hands, no. <laughs> the gloves are made to like hold, be held in that way. So I always like ruin several pairs of gloves when I have to play guitar with gloves on. Oh, but I'm used to singing with a mask on. But what's been getting me lately is now we all need to wear glasses. Oh. This is kind of late in the game. Like I wish we had glasses like peak COVID. We yeah. just got them a couple weeks ago. So we're all wearing goggles or glasses or whatever. And 
singing with them, I'm constantly fogged yeah. up. I just like, yeah. can't see anything. Sometimes I'll, you know, if my contacts are bothering the crap out of me, I wear my glasses and like, it's like stop ever since if I have to go somewhere and wear my mask or if I'm in, going into work, I'm like, nope, I gotta wear my contacts because I can't do yeah. it. I'm like, how do people do it all day? I can't. Oh, it's the worst. It's so stressful because you can't see. It's like, you yeah. can barely see it. You can't see anything. It's like, worst. <laughs> like bumping into things. What the heck? So. Yeah. Well, but yeah. again, thank you for, for being out there. And I mean, what you do is, is incredible. And, and I, it's interesting to me that, you know, you, you're seeing kids with COVID and, and now Risa is when this all first happened because, you know, they're not an emergency unit. She was seeing sort of the kids with, with the after effects of it and stuff. And so she, mm -hmm. she continues to see that. So yeah, very crazy. I remember, I don't know if you were on that. Arisa talked to a lot of her classmates once. There was like a big group Zoom call, I, I think. And everybody was on some sort of COVID unit or something. Like there was a lot of people, a lot of music therapists yeah. still out there on the front lines. And it was pretty crazy. Which is so strange because I feel like we've gotten this rhetoric, especially in school, that like you need to advocate for yourself all the time. Like you need to prove that music therapy is important in an X, Y, and Z setting. And then all of a sudden like, Oh, just kidding. Music therapy needs to yep. be here. Y'all yep. are also essential. Yep. And that was very like gratifying to me too, to realize like, oh, wow, I'm really, I'm a part of all of this. And also like disillusioning, like, oh, this is like not the rhetoric I had gotten about my role. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. I feel like a lot of people in New York, especially in like in medical settings or any kind of long-term care, like they were working yeah. the whole time. I think, and I think yeah. you'll, con I, hopefully you'll continue to feel that way after this, because as, yeah. as you and Risa and I were just chatting about, we're all going to need a music therapist in our life after oh, all of this yeah, and, yeah. Oh, i can't even imagine but but anyway we are we are here to talk about a book now now this book is such a fun age by kylie reed and when i reached out to you you said that you'd read this for a book club right yes i have a book club of some of my college friends cool. um all women and we read all uh women writers and yeah so we read it in book club and discussed it and yeah. i just I love this book. Are these undergrad friends or graduate school friends? These are actually all undergrad friends. Oh, They're all cool. from Florida, Florida State. Nice. A lot of them end up in New York, which is so, I don't, I can't <laughs> figure out why exactly, but there's a lot of us who are in New York and so it kind of grew from there. Cool. And I invited like cool. other women who I thought might be interested. So, yeah. I used to yeah. forget, are you from Florida, Jasmine? I was born in Providence, Rhode Island. I grew up outside of Boston and I moved to Florida when I was in middle school. Oh, wow. And I know, it's been a while. And then I like stayed there at middle school and high school, and then I went to Florida State because nice. Florida has this thing where like if you have a certain GPA, you go to school almost for free to a state school. I think it's kind of like don't leave Florida. We need people to stay in Florida. Wow. So I ended up going to Florida State and for music therapy also actually. Nice. Yes, I do. I know that that's one of the things I know that they have a, a school for. Um, actually, Reese's cousin yeah. Emma, who's been on the podcast, probably will be again soon. She started a program at Florida State. Oh God, Emma, you're gonna kill oh. me. I believe it's for it's it's something to do with theater. I definitely know that. I can't remember yeah, it's theater I mean, management or an amazing theater yeah. program, like an amazing, and that could be also the New York connection. Is it's this amazing performing arts yeah. program? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's well, awesome. that's so cool that you have a book club, I and mean, this was part of the larger. This is, I think, the second or third Reese Witherspoon's book club pick that that we've done. This is like the new thing in in books. You know, move over, Oprah. It's all Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, um, we've read thing. a lot of Reese's book club yeah. books. So did you guys, did you read, I think the other two that we've done were um, Where the Crawdads Sing, I know for sure was one of hers, and yeah. Little Fires Everywhere, which... Both we did nice. in our book club. Crawdads, oof, I love that book. Yeah, that was the it first... Was so captivating, that's <laughs> That was the first one we did 
for the podcast and uh, oh, really? I did with my, my friend Katie from school and we both said that we would keep reading and then I thought about it and I was like, I don't really want to keep reading this book. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> but Katie kept reading it. I think that she ended up liking it, but but yeah. Yeah, everybody everybody was really into that one. And then this one, so this was February's bestseller. You know, it sold the most copies of any book at, at the store this year, which is interesting. I mean, this was like right before, you know, the store had to shut down. And this was like the last thing that I was at the store for. I was like, oh, okay, I see these, these copies selling. But before we get more into that, I have some book questions for you. I'll start with the hardest one, which is, do you have a favorite book? I don't know. I mean, oh, you know what book I really like a lot? I really love her body in other parties. Oh yeah, uh, and I that was play, that's also a book club book. Uh, yeah. That could be one of my favorite books. My favorite book, like growing up, not growing up, like in high school though, I loved East of Eden. Oh really? I'm so obsessed with that book yeah. for some reason. I just don't think about it a lot. I think like I always thought like biblical stories were very mm. interesting and yeah. dramatic. And gosh, I don't know. Did you? That's, that's a hard question. <laughs> it is. Have you read? Did you read other John Steinbeck stuff in school or anything? Probably. I mean, I think like he was all up in the AP English yeah. curriculum. Yeah. But that, that stands out. That's the only one that really stands out right now for me. Yeah. Have you ever heard of a book called Lamb by Christopher wow. Moore? So, if you like biblical stories, I'm going to recommend this one to you. Christopher Moore is my is my favorite living author. Very, very funny author. He always has a lot of fun. So he wrote a book called Lamb, and then the subtitle is The Gospel According to Biff. And what Christopher Moore did was he took the, the time in the Bible between when Jesus was 13 and 30 that there's just a gap, and he filled it in where Jesus and his best childhood pal Biff go on adventures. Uh, they, they buy an elephant. They meet the abominable snowman. They accidentally invent coffee. It is it is a really really <laughs> funny book. His friend is like a total screw up, and you know Jesus is off like trying to find like you know he knows he's the son of God, and he's like how do I do this? And you know meanwhile his friend is like <laughs> like just screwing around and buying an elephant and stuff. It's a really really oh, funny book. Oh, Chris Miller wow. always does a really good job with it. Um, yeah. One of my favorite things is that there's there's an angel that actually is in another one of his books. And Jesus is either like five or six. They're like, you know, outside playing, he and Biff. And this angel appears and he's like, lo, behold, the son of God is born. And they're like, yeah, we know. He's like five. He's like, oh, crap. What? He's like totally missed the announcement. So so you should check that one out because it, it's, wow. you know, it's, it's that story, but it plays with it a lot. It's it's really yeah. funny. I always love Christopher Moore. So. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> well, what do you usually like to read? It sounds like you guys have a... a pretty cool book club going but like if you had to pick like a genre or something that you tend to like yeah what would it be you know I don't know what to call this exactly but I think I think Carmen Maria Machado does this and I think Helen Oyeyemi does too where they use kind of like fantasy or fables archetypes to tell modern stories so I really like Growing up, I was obsessed with fables. Mm -hmm. I would like re I would write my own fables. I would rewrite them. I don't know what it was, but I was very drawn to like not even that I was had like this intense moral compass, but I was interested in like the of right and wrong or good and bad or mm -hmm. good versus evil. So I really like authors who look at fantasy and try to rewrite fantasy. So I guess that's kind of I do like fantasy in a way. Yeah, um, that that's I I also love that stuff. Like that is totally. Yeah. I like when when authors play with fairy tales or other things, there's something so interesting about the way that, that we used to express that moral, you know, good or bad. And, and I think that there's a really interesting cultural aspect of it too, of like, you know, yes. like the grim fairy tales and like the, the world that they came out of versus, you know, other sort of 
myths and folklore and stuff. I, I always love twists on that. Neil Gaiman does that yes. so, so well. He always plays with things really, really well. Um, I think if you like Hylanoi Emmy and Carmen Machado, I'm going to give you another recommendation. I think that you should look into Karen Russell. If you've ever read her stuff, she also writes short mm-hmm. stories. I They sometimes tend to, to veer away a little bit less from the like fables and stuff, but still in that sort of weird kind of world. She just had a collection out recently called Orange World. And I, oh. my all-time favorite story from her is <laughs> such a weird story. But there's a story <laughs> where um, Rutherford B. Hayes, the president, is reincarnated as a horse and he lives in a stable of other dead presidents reincarnated as horses. And he is convinced that his wife has been reincarnated as a sheep. She is not. It's just a sheep. But all these, it's just such a weird ass story. But she does, she does things like that, and they're always so fun. In her new collection, she had one where uh, in Scotland, a, a kid accidentally pulls up a body from a bog and you know it's like preserved and he ends up dating the the bog girl and he takes it to prom and everybody's jealous of him she's like super glamorous but she's just a dead bog like she doesn't talk or anything it's just very weird things like that oh, like definitely bizarre. inhabits those worlds but you know and, and plays with a lot yeah. of themes like that i think carmen machado did that really really well in, in all those things yeah. she really played with those themes yeah. i have a copy of her book that she signed for me because i met her at uh, book expo Free copy? Can you sign I met it? her one time too. Yeah. Yeah, I read. I got. I went to her reading of um in the dream house. Oh, cool. Which I also. Like. Yeah, it's um go. it's different than than her first novel, her yeah. first book. Yeah, so cool. I love it. That's pretty cool. I always yeah I always love when authors do that. I'm like always on the lookout for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So when you read a book, about how long do you think it takes you to get through one? It, it really depends on my level of interest. Yeah. <laughs> like, I really like Crawdads, so I probably read that in like, I read it in a week. And yeah. it was such a fun age. I like couldn't, couldn't put it down. Yeah. I was in growth, so it took me probably like a week. It depends. I read on the train a lot, so that, that's my primary reading time. Mm-hmm. We have book club every month, so yeah. a month at the most, you, I guess. Do you find if you start something, if you're not liking it, do you just power through and try to finish it? Or do you find you're like, I'm good. I'm just going to put this down, whatever, move on to the next thing. I'll put it down. Yeah. I know. I, it's, which is maybe not great. I'm a quitter. No, no, no. I'm not feeling it. But also in book club, book club is a good marker for me. I'm like, well, it's like book club has come and gone. You're like, now I have to move on. Right, right, right. No, I, I think there, it's, there are so many schools of thought. Different people I've had on the podcast have answered that differently. And, and you know, some people are like, listen, I got a lot of stuff I want to read. I'm not, I'm yeah. not wasting my time with things I don't like. I think that's kind of admirable because I, I usually will just be like, well, I guess I'm liking this. So I'm going to keep going. Like I can't – even if I'm not liking it, sometimes I'm like, ah, I got to keep going with it. I can't put it down. Yeah. You know, it's, but <laughs> when, it and when you read, how do you mark your place in your book? Gosh. I, I go all over the – I know. I feel like I'm going to sound very uncivilized. <laughs> I don't keep bookmarks for long. No. They just – I lose them. They're yeah. just flimsy and they're flying, so I, I lose them. So then, like, this book, I marked it, like, with the... It's a hardcover. Jasmine's holding up the hardcover. Yeah, so yeah. you marked it with a flap. This, yeah, this yeah. one I did it, but then, like, I have a copy of... Like, I'm also reading... I have my parents' copy of Twenty Morrison's Song of Solomon. Oh, nice. And I've been just... It's like a mini copy, so I've just been dog-earing yeah. it, which I'm like... It's just, you, you do everything. I think you're the first person I've had on that does all these, whatever. I'll do whatever. Yeah, whatever. A bookmark, a dog ear, whatever. Yeah. Seems funny. Usually, sometimes I ask if you've ever read anything else from this author, but I'm pretty certain that this is her first and only novel. I'm pretty certain. Yeah. 
So wild. Which adds to how yeah amazing her story is. Yeah, she's only a couple years older than me. She was born the same year that Risa was. So she was born in uh, '87. She is from Los Angeles. She did her graduate at Iowa. So she got her MFA at the Iowa Writers Workshop, which is one of the best places that you can go. And I mean, it definitely shows. I think her writing is is really really good. Yeah. So. But yeah, this is her her very first book, Such a Fun Age. It was the first selection this year of Reese Witherspoon's book club. Started off 2020, she picked this one uh, Mm -hmm. to read. That, I mean, and again, that has done nothing but good things for people. (laughs) So I believe it was nominated for, I think it was nominated for the Booker Prize. Oh, yeah? Which is a pretty big honor. I don't, I don't remember what won. You know, it's such a weird thing. I've been so out of the book world for a little bit that I'm like, yeah. I feel like I'm trying to catch up on stuff now. This, is uh, your, this was your first week back. This was, yeah. Today was my the start of my second week back at the store. Yeah. And there's like yeah. you know, so much stuff that's like out in hardcover and paperback. And I'm trying to keep up with these things. Like I was going through all the, the new stuff that sold, you know, since I've been back too, trying to trying to keep up. So yeah. that has been funny i don't remember what awards are happening when and i don't know <laughs> i'm yeah. surprised that uh, that there's nothing on here that says that so yeah. so i i you know whenever i see that whenever i see that somebody went to iowa writers workshop i'm like okay i expect good things uh from <laughs> yes. her and yeah i mean let, uh, let's get right into the the first 50 pages here because mm-hmm. it is worth taking a look at so one yeah. of the things that i wondered about this book before we even get into the plot the first yeah. chapter of this book is like one of the better first chapters of anything I've read in a long time. And it's almost like a short story on its own. I can definitely see her writing that first chapter as a short story and bringing it to workshop. And mm-hmm. you know, everybody giving her good feedback and her saying, you know what, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to take it and write a novel out of this. It just, it had that feeling like, man, if the book ended right here, I feel like that would have been a satisfying book. Like, okay. There's a lot there. There's so much in there. Yeah. A really good, like I said, one of the better first chapters I've read in a long, long time. So, so the book begins with, I was like reading first lines of things. So uh, that night when Mrs. Chamberlain called, Amira could only piece together the words, take Briar somewhere and pay you double. Good first line. I like that, you know, we, we already know. Um, and, and here we are introduced to our, one of our main characters, Amira, who is currently at a party, but she's getting a call from her employer who is, you know, she works as a babysitter. And we know that something has happened at her employer's house. We're not totally certain quite yet, but it seems like, you know, it's pretty late at night. It's a Saturday night, you know, and it's a, a bit of a strange call, but something has happened and she just wants Amira to come and take her daughter somewhere out so that, you know, we learn that there's been a window broken at their house and she just doesn't okay. want uh, the child to, to see that. So it's a funny thing. I I kept trying to figure out like, okay, where are we going to go with this? And I kind of knew the, the beginning of it, but she mm-hmm. sets it up in this weird way of like, she's at a party. She's definitely like drinking with her friends and stuff. And I, I really appreciated that she straight up was like, Hey, yo, I've had a couple drinks. Like, you know, I thought that that would be a thing. Like, oh, she didn't tell her that she'd been drinking and like, well, but she was like, no, yo, I've been drinking. Is that okay? And she's like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, her boss was like, yeah, that's fine. That was a satisfying thing for me because that was something that I was like, oh, it's going to do this. It's going to be this, Archer. Okay. And it it subverted my expectation in that way. And I appreciated that. I liked that. Yeah. Have you ever had an experience like this where you've been like at a party or something and and you had to leave for work or anything like that? 
Luckily, no. <laughs> I think I've had a nightmare about that, probably. <laughs> I feel like... I can't, I can't imagine this feeling. I feel like I once like, in college... I don't know. I don't think it happened to me, but I think it was to one of my friends. As, as a theater student, they don't usually schedule rehearsals for Friday night, but every now and then. And I swear to God, I had a friend who... You know, it was like Friday night and we were all like, cool, week's over, having some drinks at the apartment. And they got a call from the stage manager that was like, where are you? You have rehearsal. It's like, oh, oh, shit. I totally forgot. I, I honestly don't remember who it was, but I only get, oh. it was like poking around in the back of my mind. It's like, oh, that's, that's going to be the nightmare. worst. I've literally had that nightmare. Yeah. Being like. That was off the hook. Yeah. And also, she's like dressed. That also gave me anxiety. It was like, she's like dressed like, to go out and she's like going to roll up to her employer's house, like, dressed in her club attire yeah yeah oh my yeah. god now there's always so something yeah they're talking about yeah nightmare Ooh. there's always something that i think is interesting with stuff like this and i think that kylie reed does this really well actually but i'm curious for your your take on it it's somebody who's a reader and not you know wasn't in like workshop i always feel like in workshop okay. classes there was sort of a split thought on how to represent people of a certain age people probably close in age to you and me and you know that life and technology and stuff and not i had a lot of classmates that were like i don't want to put cell phones in my story i don't want to write a character who's out at a party with her friends and stuff because they felt like it dated their work which i think is a little like if you're not that kind of writer you're not that kind of writer some people you know want a story to feel like it can kind of happen at any time and, and you know you can you can pull that off in a way you know you know you can read something that was written in 2000 and you could imagine it happening today because it has that sort of timeless feel that, you know, it's hard to capture that. But at the same time, I think sometimes when you can hit this kind of story and these characters in a way that works, I think it works really well. But I'm, I'm curious, like, do you find that distracting in books when you're like, yo, this is like, if not my life, the life of people I know, like hanging out at a party on the weekend, using their cell phones. Mm -hmm. And I think that somebody's Snapchatting at the party. Like, yeah. do, you, do you like that stuff in the novel? Yeah. Do you find it kind of distracting? You know, I, I loved it in this story because I immediately was able to see myself in this friend group. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. we're 26, and I thought that's such a specific, like, specific age, like to be in your late 20s, and that's where I'm at right now. And it just helped me to better identify with these characters and I think Kylie Reid only continues to give them nuance that makes them so believable and so specific especially in terms of the black experience or being like a young woman of color and right now I'm also I've been rereading Kathleen Collins's Whatever Happened to Interracial Love oh yeah it's a compilation of stories and that she there's things in there that date the stories to the 60s but like i still i'm like wow this is one of the most compelling pieces of black womanhood i have ever read and these themes ring true to me now so it really to me as a reader it didn't really matter that the technology wasn't what i'm currently using but the, i think I, maybe it's around things of race too yeah. there's like kind of this like the situation that happens could happen 10 years from now or it could happen like you know 50 years ago yeah. without cell phones but yep. similar situation yeah. so yeah that's a compelling and also sort of sad thing about you know what happens to Amira on this night I think it's really I just think as a writer it's really difficult to write a scene like this where like everybody's out and drunk it's like how there are some actors that just are terrible at playing drunks like it's so hard to act drunk because it's just so over the top and it's yeah. the same kind of thing to write this I think that she does it really really yeah. well you know the language that these girls are using with each other feels very real but 
I'm trying to, yeah. she has one friend that's totally drunk, right? And and like, it's, she doesn't overdo it. I think at one point in time, they like call, I think it's your friend Shawnee. It's, and it's her birthday. She's at a party for her friend Shawnee. And, oh yeah, I like the line. Yeah. She says to Amir, her one friend says, I can't believe you're leaving her party. And she says, I think Shawnee is leaving Shawnee's party. Like she's so drunk that she's like not even here anymore. And I think they call her later and she's like, got the toilet thrown up or something. Like, so they end up, Amira ends up going to you know her boss's house and picking up her daughter Briar and all she wants her to do is just take her to the grocery store for a little bit while the police come and they handle everything. Her boss who in this chapter is referred to as Mrs. Chamberlain and then I thought it was interesting that she became more of a character. She also has a younger daughter who's just a baby. I think she's a few months old. So Amira and her friend Zara end up going to this grocery store which is, I imagine it's sort of like a Whole Foods kind of thing in, in Philadelphia, uh -huh. Market Depot, which I forgot to look up if that's actually a thing or not. I'm not from Philly, so oh. there's a great joy yeah, yeah. of mine to know different supermarkets <laughs> around the country. They always <laughs> pop up in books, and I'm like, is that an actual thing? Like, in, in Where the Crowds yeah. thing, I there was like a higgledy-piggledy. I was like, that's not a real place. And then it was, and I was like, oh, okay, well, all right, there you go. So... So they're at this place here, her friend Zara and Amira, they're at this place with Briar, who's the little girl. Mm -hmm. um, and, and language like this, like Zara and they're walking around and Zara's phone buzzes and she says, oh my God, oh my God, all one word. Oh my God, I gave my number to that guy at Shawnee's. She said, looking at her screen, he's so thirsty for me, it's stupid. There's a certain age group that would read that and be like, I, I don't know what that is. I don't understand. Like it's very much, you know, language of, of a certain age mm -hmm. of people but i think it works you know i think it shows you these characters really really well and, and feels authentic yeah. you know but, but yeah it doesn't feel corny that was something that really i liked about this book is that that how she displayed young people and it didn't feel like it is corny to me yeah like it read it's just kind of accurate yeah. it just is what it is it reads very much as somebody who is only a few years removed from probably having a few <laughs> nights like this you know she's <laughs> she's exactly only right. you know she's in her 30s she probably was you know having these having these kind of nights here so, so they're all at this Market Depot, this grocery store here, and um, I actually yeah. I appreciated Briar as a character too. This this little girl, I I also think it's difficult to write children because what ends up happening as you're writing kids is they all end up being the same. You know, it's it's like a very easy thing to just be like, oh, this kid is this kid. But I think that she gives Briar her own little weird quirks and stuff, and I think that yes. I always thought it served Amira's character as well as reasons that she liked her or enjoyed spending time with her or whatever, and she was just a little strange, and, and I appreciated that about her. Mm -hmm. So they're at the supermarket. I like that, you know, they, they see a couple people walking around, and really just trying to kill time, you know. Zara starts playing music. I believe where they start dancing to Whitney Houston, right? Is that what it was? Yes, I think that's yeah. what they start with. <laughs> I knew it was the music therapist. You would know. Yes. You would remember which thing. That made me think of Rusa because whenever Whitney Houston comes on the radio, she knows all the words, and she looks at me like, "You don't know all the words?" I'm like, "No." Don't we all know all the words? Everybody needs to talk. I don't. I'm sorry. Rusa knows the words to every '80s song. I'll be like. She's like singing along. I'm like, who does, who, what band does this song? She goes, I don't know. What's the name of the song? I don't know. And yet she knows all the words because she, she says, you know, my mom always had the radio on in the 80s. That was what my mom listened to. She remembers it. Made but, it in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, you don't know who this is? No, I have no idea who this is. <laughs> so, so as we go on, her friend Zara's there. They're dancing. You know, they're just trying to kill some time. Zara yeah. ends up taking off. She leaves Amira and Briar. Briar says that she wants to smell the tea. So okay. that, I think that was really funny. But again, just these little things. And as they're walking over, 
Amira is stopped, and she's stopped by a security guard, or rather public safety guard. And basically what ensues is just this sort of series of events that keep escalating into, at least from Amira's point of view, this just sort of panic where it seems that a woman in the store has pointed out to this, this guard that it's late, this young black woman is, you know, all dressed up, going to a party, and she clearly suspects something wrong with this, whether she's kidnapped the child or something is just off. And as much as she tries to tell the security guard, I'm her babysitter, I'm here, she tries to explain herself, things just keep getting weirder and weirder. And I, I thought, again, this scene, it just it was like so tense, you couldn't stop reading it. One of the things mm-hmm. I think that she does really well in this part is that the woman who, both the woman who's sort of accusing her and the security guard start asking Briar. They start asking the child questions. Yeah. And Amira starts feeling like, I'm right here. And and especially for somebody who's, she's the babysitter. Like, she's literally there to take yeah. care of this child. I'm a just, grown up here. Exactly. To just disregard her. I mean, it says so much. I forget about it in the situation or in the scene. It just says so much about, you know, who Amira is, the way they're treating her as, as a young black woman. And I mean, especially given what's going on right now. This is just, it, it yeah. really, it escalates quickly and just feels awful. And you stick so close to Amira. So, uh-huh. I mean, tell me how you were feeling through through all of this. Because I, I thought this was really well written, but. Yeah, I mean, I was I was hooked immediately. And I think it's the timing of this book is so, so strange. Yeah. Because it was, it became so visible in February. And then Black Lives Matter didn't have a resurgence until May, yeah. the end of May. And now, like, Kylie Rita continues to be, like, this person who people have on their podcast or have on their Instagram <laughs> lives to, yeah. like, talk about race. And it's like she wasn't – she wrote this story because the story has been happening for much longer than Black Lives Matter has gotten this degree of visibility. Yeah. So for me, for me, this was not unfamiliar. Like, I, I've never been in exactly the situation, but I have been in situations where I've been, like, overly scrutinized or questioned for like being in a space while also being black and this just honestly just pissed me off like that like she's like she didn't want to be here like she's doing a favor she was out there she's like doing the, a nice thing for yep. this family and just being scrutinized for it and I can't even imagine like the fear and then when you learn more about like what had already gone on with the Chamberlains and it's just this very con- morally confusing situation, yeah, actually. Absolutely. But it's really it's unnerving to read. But I I love the way that it was written. I just felt like I had to know how does this conflict end. Yeah. And I like how it gradually introduces the other characters who who were witnessing this, like first security guard, then the woman who accused, and then this man who's also there, who we learn is Kelly, who's like filming. That I thought that was also it was like the different degrees of yeah. like like kind of like white people, like how they were acting, what the roles they were playing. And then yeah. there was like the accuser and then there was like the aspiring ally. Yeah. You know, like I was like, try like, and I'm doing the right thing. I should take my camera out. I was like, this is the moment that you take your camera out. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. The guy who comes up and, and takes out his camera, he says, I think you're going to want this filmed. Do you want me to call the police? To which Amir responds for what? Awesome. Like, yeah, like, yeah. no, what? No, 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 not that. No, 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 no. <laughs> Yeah, his intention was to like defend her, avenge her, right. but for the very system that like actually is working against her right now, which yep. is such. This book is so incredible because it really dissects what allyship is, yeah, and what like white liberalism is, yeah. and that that moment with Kelly is like encapsulates it so perfectly. Like, I'm gonna help this black person in need by calling the police. By con- by filming this. Like, and calling the police. <laughs> like, <laughs> Ooh, no. Dude, no, no, no. 
I, you know, I remember reading that one of the things that really inspired Kylie Reed was when she was at her MFA program, it was 2015. And that was when mm -hmm. Freddie Gray and, and Philando Castile, when, when they were killed. And mm -hmm. just the fact that it's what people have been saying for so much of this year, but like just the fact that this book, it doesn't matter that that was five years ago and we're, we're at the same place five years later where this... Exactly. This doesn't feel like five years ago. And I think in the book, it's actually 2015 too. I think that the book takes place yeah. that year. doesn't feel like it. It feels like, I mean, it honestly yeah. feels like the next thing that happened after everything that, you know, happened in June. And like, it's like, this feels like yeah. something here on the, on the news right now. Yeah, exactly. And, and all through it, I really like that just the way that she writes Briar in all of this is so she, she's like not she doesn't know what's going on i mean even just little things okay. like the the woman who's accusing her is you know saying to the guy you know they were doing some kind of booty dancing i i, I thought this doesn't feel right and amira says are you serious right now and then what's written after that is briar sneezed into the side of her leg like it's just the kid is just she has no idea what exactly is happening and yet so much of it sort of starts to feel like it hinges on her ability to articulate to these people this is my babysitter. There is nothing wrong. And that in and of itself is just such a strange situation. Like poor Amira is relying on a three or three year old white girl to defend her as a young black woman. It's yeah, to well legitimize her presence there. Yeah. Very, very well written. Yeah, and and again though, well I kind of appreciate that I was wondering, okay, what direction is this gonna take? Is it gonna escalate into violence? Like what is gonna happen? And Amira ends up calling Peter, who is uh, Briar's father. He says, you know, I'll be right down. And he does, he comes back down. Oh yeah, well the security guard's like, let me let me talk to her dad. And she's like, don't touch me, just don't, don't yeah, fucking touch like, me. Yeah, he reaches man. to take the phone from her. Yeah, and then and then Kelly, who the, the guy who's filming said, don't touch her, dude. Like, oh, thanks for your help, man, great. Yeah, Thank like you. now you're interviewing. <laughs> so finally, uh, uh, finally he does end up coming down and does explain everything and it's a, a strange situation but uh -huh. it does sort of get de-escalated and she leaves before i like that she kind of she kind of slips out you know and, and she says goodbye to briar and you know she it says she didn't even wait for mr chamberlain to finish lecturing the guards about how long he'd be coming to the store how they can't detain people without reasonable cause like it does sort of de-escalate and then as she's leaving this guy who's wearing a Penn State sweatshirt, we later learn his name, Kelly, he comes up and is like, hey, I filmed that. Do you want it? And yeah. again, Amira's like, no, I, I don't. And he's like, you know, you want me to contact the news and stuff? And she's like, no, 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 I, I don't want. So there's so many little elements of this too that didn't go the way I expected. I expected him to turn violent. I expected, I honestly expected a gun to be drawn in some way, shape or form, you know. Mm -hmm. Even here, you know, there's a part of you that's like, yeah, she is gonna wanna tell the news. And just the fact that she's like, no, 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 I'm good. I don't need you to do that. Plays with those expectations, I think, in a way that's very satisfying. Like, okay. Mm -hmm. It gives her nuance. Like, it gives it gives like the black experience nuance, and that's yeah. why I think I fell in love with this book. Is like, like he was trying to do the thing that he thought was right or that was going to really help her, but like actually wasn't listening to what she was saying. She's like, as a black person, this is not helpful to me. He's yeah. Like, oh, but like just in case. Yeah. No, I'm you know I'm extra on my own experience. I'm saying that this is not what I want to do, and he's like, well, just let me email to you. Yeah. Just yeah. in case. And, and of course, there's an element that he's kind of, you know, he's kind of hitting on her. He's like, yo, like, he yeah. like, takes your photos, like, here's my email. <laughs> like, 
Yes, exactly. So, exactly. So there's like this ulterior motive yeah. too. And I love that he puts his email in or he, he emails it and um, the email <laughs> comes up, Kelly T. Copeland at gmail.com. And she stops and goes, hold up. Who the fuck is Kelly? <laughs> he blinked. I'm Kelly. <laughs> I thought that was, that that was pretty funny. Yeah. So I actually, I went to high school with a guy named Kelly. Very sweet guy. Yeah. He, was, he was a really nice guy. But I was like, oh, I know a guy named Kelly. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, like, guys can be named Kelly for yeah. sure. And, I love that moment though. Yeah. And actually, even the way this ends where, you know, I, I think a lot of people have had just some sort of experience that leaves you feeling kind of shaken and kind of, you know, traumatized. And yet you, it's a weird feeling to see the world has kept going without you. Like she texts her friend and says, you know, hey, come over when you're done. And then like, her friends, you know, been out partying. Like the the rest of the world has has kept yeah. going and been normal, and that's sort of an interesting kind of place to come back to after that, you know. Yeah, and showing like the trauma of like racism in every single in everyday life, like that it doesn't necessarily have to end with like overt violence, but like, right. but can have like emotional violence. Like how how rattling would this be, you know, to be accused of something that you didn't definitely didn't do and trying to do your job and do the right thing and just then feel on edge like am I going to be accosted in this space because someone's going to perceive me as not belonging there yeah you know just to carry that fear to always be on alert with that is like racial trauma like that's what that's exactly what it is and the way she portrays that is really specific and really true yeah and the chapter ends with with Zara coming back over and you know they're they're chatting and I think she's trying to make some small talk get over it but it does end with saying she put the back of her hand to her mouth and silently started to cry so yeah. you know mm-hmm. I guess she she kind of twists and turns and and we end in a place that's like yeah you see that that this that really scary. yeah this really has effect and scary is is the word i i was scared for this fictional character through all this you know it's yeah. she, that she really captures that feeling of everything just spiraling out of your control and, and the reasons why are, are just absolutely awful. But but that's yeah. the end of the first chapter. And, and like I was saying, I, I can totally see somebody bringing that into a workshop and being like, so yeah, this is like a short story I've been working on and ending there in the whole class being like, more, give me more. Like what else is yeah. going on here? Yeah. Um, and Definitely. So the next chapter we were introduced to Alex Chamberlain. So this is Briar's mother. And, and that's also a weird reason why I think it's the same because she just calls her Mrs. Chamberlain. And I can totally see Kylie Reed going back and editing that first chapter so that she could have called her Alex because she becomes a main character who we think of as Alex uh-huh. for after that. But for that first little bit, she's kind of trying to put your put your expectation of who she is aside. And she refers to her as Mrs. Chamberlain. So you get this picture in your mind uh-huh. of maybe somebody who's a little bit older or, you know, like there's a, there's a sort of a gap between, you know, where Amira is in her life and where Alex Chamberlain is in her life. But then we come to see that they're not, they're not so far apart in age. It's not like Alex Chamberlain is in her, you know, late forties and is a totally different generation. They're, they're not super far apart. No, not at all. But we do get some, it's basically this next chapter is a lot of background info on Alex Chamberlain who Mm -hmm. went to NYU, just like Jasmine and I went to NYU. (laughs) Um, And Alex Chamberlain has become it's sort of a rise to becoming this influencer of some sort. Yeah. Uh, She's like a pre-influencer influencer. Yeah. She she has a, she sort of stumbles into doing this and what exactly she does is still sort of a mystery to me, but (laughs) it's like she, she has this blog of writing letters to things. This is so funny because, you know, when I, when I'm on YouTube and I want to like relax, 
I usually watch videos about old video games. For some reason I find that very interesting and you know, that's like a good thing to zone out. Brisa on the other uh -huh. hand really likes a lot of people who talk about like beauty products and stuff. I think she likes that kind of, you know, yeah. just like what people's makeup routines are. But then these people have sort of become they just make vlogs. It's just like, hey, this is what I do with my day today. And a lot of times it's like, here's what outfit I'm wearing or stuff like that. And it's really just like, man, I got to turn my brain off and like I'm listening to this. Yeah. But that's sort of the way she was. Like this this character, yeah. she wrote letters to all these companies, Ray-Ban, Scholastic, like, and she would request products like sample products and stuff. Or she would sort of criticize the tactful complaints and suggestions for improvement. And she sort of spins it into a blog and then... She kind of encourages mostly other women, sometimes young women, to like write letters and get what they want out of things. And yeah. we, we do meet Peter as well, who is a few years older than her, which I actually thought was a smart move. Like I was just saying about Alex and Amira maybe not being so far, pushing Peter in that way doesn't sort of erase him as a character, but does kind of say like, he's not going to be part of their sort of intertwining story. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he would be a character, but... We don't need yeah. him to experience the same things. I thought that was that was smart. As a writer, as somebody like, I want all the characters to be the same age and do the same thing. Like, it's smart to have that difference there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point about him. So they get married. She's 28. You know, uh, obviously, the party favor, shoes, white wine at her wedding were all items <laughs> she'd received free of charge from handwriting, gorgeous letters, and promising glowing reviews. It is one of those things that feels like I don't think anybody's done this, but like it feels too real not to be. Like somebody out there must have. I, I mean, it's like one of those yeah. too interesting not to be true kind of things to me. You know, I'm realizing what what was her internet platform because they don't. <laughs> was oh it yeah. Instagram, I think, in 2015. Was it Live Journal? Was it? <laughs> Instagram though. Yeah. She doesn't say Instagram though. Yeah, I feel like it says something on a blog, and Peter encourages her. She's like, "Oh, it's like a side project," you know. But she must blog. Yeah, she says, I write letters I and reviews and I have this blog. So it starts out between 2001 and 2004, oh, so yeah. maybe it's a little That's bit right. later than that. All right, so fully a blog. So yeah, definitely pre-influencer, but reviewing products. Yep. Advocating for women to, to ask for what they want or specifically ask for products, yep. that kind of thing. <laughs> but it spins into, <laughs> she meets this girl who's in high school and Alex gives her like a cover letter writing workshop girl yes. uses it to to apply to colleges and gets all these things and it's somebody that she specifically mentioned has an instagram following of thirty six thousand, and she posts a picture of all of these things and she gives alex this hashtag you know hashtag write a letter hashtag let her and that's the brand that alex turns this into is hashtag let her so it's basically women and young women asking for what they want and she she spins it into a whole thing i mean she ends up with like interns and she's interviewed in magazines and this is sort of the flip side to me of we were talking about sort of how Amira is portrayed and and you know the technology and the language that they use this again is like if I gave this to my dad or my mom they might not be as interested in this because I feel like if I don't know anybody personally who has this kind of thing I know people on the internet who do and so I read this and I'm like yeah this feels yeah. really real this feels like something that happens right now but I feel like different generations might read this and be like Okay, what does that mean if somebody has an Instagram following of 36,000? I don't get the significance of that. Or like, how did she do this? What exactly yeah. does she do? So, you know, That's true. I don't think you need to write to be timeless, but 
you know, writing the the actual present of what's happening in these characters is a very interesting thing to me because I knew a lot of people yeah. in my workshop classes that were like, I wouldn't write the word Instagram in my novel if you held a gun to my head. I wouldn't put it in there. Like, I don't want that in well, my novel. Oh, interesting. So interesting. I've never really, I never really thought about that, about, yeah, what, what will allow a book to, like, hold up or, like, stand the test of time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, that's interesting. And that, like, we only get this because we have a frame of reference yeah. of this culture, this internet culture, and, like, and even, like, what marketable feminism looks like, too. Right. We're in the age of the wing and the facade of, like, women empowering women. Yeah. I think that's what Kylie was trying to, like, show her. Like, Alex is the epitome of that. She's like, yeah. like, capitalistic white feminism. Yep. This is her brand. And people love that shit, yep. you know. Yep. And she skyrocketed. They're in it. One thing I think is really hilarious is that her husband so they have an upper west side apartment but her husband works as a, a news journalist in riverdale which is the neighborhood that Risa and i used to live in and this was like oh, really? the one slightly unrealistic thing about this book that i i thought because i'm pretty certain that riverdale doesn't have its own news station where he could be an anchor like it's, <laughs> it's not that kind of thing i i thought that was just really funny I literally, I have a note that says, he's a newscaster in Riverdale? Like, specifically Riverdale? I guess New York is just, it's more general than that. You know, there's not like, <laughs> I'm covering all the news from 60th to 81st. 82nd Street can screw up. I'm not talking about 82nd Street here. Like, you know, Riverdale is a lot of young Jewish families or elderly people. There's not a lot of news to report there. It's the Bronx, but it's like, the quietest part of the bride. It's basically like South Yonkers. So I thought that that was funny. But there was this this interesting thing going on here too, where you know they live in New York and she's developing her brand in New York, and then they get pregnant, and he really wants to move, and they they end up going to Philadelphia, which I thought was interesting as somebody who just had a baby and moved from New York City to Westchester in the sort of stereotypical mm -hmm. way that that people do. But you know, recent and I wanted a a little more space to raise a family and stuff. But I thought it was interesting that they went to Philadelphia. I know that Kylie Reed lives in Philadelphia, so she must have some experience with Philadelphia as a city and being able to set things there. But I thought that was interesting. Mm -hmm. But it also hit kind of close to me. A lot of a lot of what was happening with Alex was hitting kind of close to me as somebody who just who has a young baby and who moved oh, out God. of the city and stuff. But that was such a weird feeling for me to feel closer as a character to Alex than Amira. Mostly because of age, you know, she's 26, I'm only 30, but like, that was just weird. I'm like, oh man, am I, am I like an old boring parent now? Okay. I was only five months old, of course I'm not. But I just thought that was funny that I was like, oh, I, I know this kind of thing. She does write what it's like to have a, a, a baby. There was something she had in here about, you know, after the baby speaking in third person all the time and it's like yeah you kind of do you know you kind of start talking about each other as mom and dad or, or you know i'm like dad dad just gotta go put his shoes on real quick you know i've, I've done that i do that and that that is really funny wow, to me wow. she Why? knows that <laughs> uh, <laughs> let me see oh, i have the thing here her days were suddenly marked with third person speech that's mama's earring mama's on the phone totally do that yeah do you have dad's hair can you let go of dad's hair please because you're grabbing my hair babe like i totally do that Referring to ages in months rather than years. Well, I'm off the hook for that because Ben is, she has zero years. So take yeah. that, old boring parenting. <laughs> Not doing that math yet. <laughs> but, you know, as we, we go along and, and Briar, she starts growing up and Alex starts to eventually get a little derailed from what she she was doing. She is very much on top of everything. You know, she's, she's 
speaking at conferences all the time. She has this life carved out. And she, at some point in time, she'd been doing a letter campaign to the Hillary Clinton campaign. So, you know, back when, when Hillary was running for president uh-huh. and she doesn't hear anything from, from the campaign. She really wants to work with it in some capacity. So there's this really interesting scene where she is being interviewed and she's on stage. It's a speaking panel Thank called yeah, Small Business Femme, where she is on stage in, in Soho it's called Small Business Femme, but she's on stage with two male panel members, which is very interesting. A podcast host and a reality TV show father who had quintuplet girls. So as she's being interviewed for this, she decides, you know what? I'm going to make a very tactful decision. And she breastfeeds Briar on stage in front of everybody. She does this in, in a really interesting way. And, you know, I asked Risa about this because she is breastfeeding right now. And I might, I might ask her and maybe edit in if she wants to talk about this a little bit. But I did yeah. ask her, like, would you ever do this? And she was like, God, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, I mean, it's a, very, it's a very brave, but also, you know, vulnerable thing, I think, to, to do that on stage. And again, Alex makes the decision. It's not like she's like, I crap, I have no other choice. You know, she, she definitely makes this decision to, to pull this power move. Exactly. But, but Risa was like, I cannot imagine breastfeeding on stage in front of a bunch of people. That sounds awful. <laughs> so... I know that I think that's what's so interesting and telling our characters like she took this big risk for like I don't know I mean for yeah for power and for like it's just it's interesting like I can't remember if she kind of she starts to reveal that like she doesn't actually really like Briar that much Briar's like not her favorite kid to know that like she did this for this child that she like doesn't really feel bonded to like it just was totally it was a career move yeah and that kind of adds for me to like this idea of faux feminism. It's like, look yeah. at me, I can do both. But like, actually, like, don't like this kid. Only yeah. doing this for the clout, doing right. it all for clout, right. kind of thing. And, but the way that Kylie Reed writes it, though, isn't. It's not so overt. She doesn't say at any point in time, like, she decided she was going to do it to get this. But she sets it up. She sets up this, like, yeah. she's trying to get a book deal, and she wants you know to to reach out to the Hillary Clinton campaign and stuff. So it's very much, you know, she does say like. Alex, you sort of see the decision being made in scene. Like she doesn't give Briar some food beforehand. She decides, yes. you know, I'm going to bring her on stage. So you see this going and, and exactly. you, you're you sort of left to make up your own decision about how you feel about it. And of course, the rest of the book, you know, will end up sort of influencing that as you look back too. But, yeah. you know, in the moment, I think you can sort of take it for like, yeah, wow, she really wanted to show, you know, like I'm a working mother and this is what we have to do. But then at the same time, you can kind of see sort of the duplicitous nature of this decision. Yeah, definitely. But she do, And so she does this right before they move to Philadelphia. And she's got a book deal. She starts needing some time to write. She starts needing some time to get some things done. And so she hires Amira. And part of the reason why she seems to hire her is because Amira doesn't know anything about letting her speak or this platform or anything. Like, it's almost like, a, well, she's not going to stuck up to me, but... There's this, uh-huh. this was the one part for me of these first 50 pages that I didn't quite go along with. From the start, Alex seems really sort of interested in Amira, but it's in a way that's like, oh, she doesn't know who I am, which is like, I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't know who you are, but the chapter ends with Alex has gained a lot more weight. She's not really working on her novel. She's just kind of doing other stuff, which again, this was like a weird thing that hit hard for me in a way of when COVID hit, I lost my job. Risa went back to work earlier than expected. And I 
very happily was home with Ben. It was tough. I was like, I want to be at work. But, you know, looking back, I'm so happy that I got to spend that time. But I had that feeling of crap. You know, I have, she's asleep. I have an hour. I need to be doing something. Like, why am I not like, I'm a big, lazy piece of crap. <laughs> you know, she's like, there's a thing in here too of, you know, the way finally, you know, Amira comes, she takes Briar and then she ends up reading magazines and like, you know, she's got her laptop out to write, but then she just ends up watching House Hunters or something. Like I had that experience of like, I'm going to get something done. And then like two episodes of 30 Rock later, I was like, oh crap, what was I doing? I can't remember. So, oh, so as the chapter ends, we see that her husband has said something pretty, <laughs> pretty lame on TV. Her husband, you know, he's a newscaster. Yeah, he's a newscaster in Philly, and, and they're doing a story about students asking other students to prom. And there Home, is. Homecoming. Oh, sorry, sorry homecoming. homecoming. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> this is so stupid. Why would you even say this? Um, so bad. The segment ended with a five foot tall student with a flat top of thick hair above a white mask marching towards a group of girls. This was weird to me because I immediately was like, mask, COVID. It was like, I keep having these experiences where somebody's like wearing a mask or something and I'm like, how did they know? Like, okay, that's not it. So, you know, they, they, they dance, they have intricate shapes and patterns with their fingers. The group ended by revealing a white flag with homecoming written in Sharpie. The black teen in front removed his mask and held out a rose. You know, so, whoa. And then Peter, her husband says, well, let's hope that last one asked her father first, which the backlash was immediate. Yeah. Really? So everybody is, you know, the community is pretty rightfully kind of outraged. <laughs> this is Philadelphia. <laughs> like, yep. This is not the city where no one was going to notice that. Yeah, like, seriously. <laughs> so what ends up happening is that then the, the events kind of come together where we see somebody throws okay. a brick through their window. And that's then the reason why Alex calls Amira and says, hey, can you come watch Briar for a little bit? So as Peter gave the policeman a statement, Alex scooped up the glass with a hand and towel and the glaring light from the chandelier. Between long, sad strokes, she told herself to wake the fuck up, to write this book, to live in Philadelphia, to get to know Amira Tucker. And this was the only thing that it was like, I didn't totally buy into to this part of things. It very much focuses a lot on Alex and sort of her own struggles with like being a mom and trying to get work done and moving away from the city that she's working at. And then I, this was the only part where I sort of felt like they kind of, she kind of shoved Amira into the last bit of this chapter and was like, oh, this happened. And I couldn't quite tell, did she mean because her husband said this, she felt like she needed to because there was backlash to something that was legitimately racist that he said that she was like, I couldn't tell where she was going with it. I don't know. How, how did you react to this part? Cause this yeah. was the only part that I was like, eh, I don't know about this. Yeah. I, I read it. Well, so I think that she would have had this weird kind of fascination, interest, ownership over Amir, regardless of this incident. Like mm -hmm. I think that was already in Alex and she had this predisposition to think that she was being very inclusive and liberal and cool but actually was being really possessive and dehumanizing of Amira but this to me was Kylie Ray trying to say like that this was the way Alex was going to prove that she's not racist she's yeah. going to like get to know this black girl who's babysitting her kids like she's going to get to intimately know the life of a black person to prove that she is against racism and yeah. like she is this cool inclusive liberal person which that thought alone is super racist because yeah. she's treating Amira like this object, like this thing, this thing that is coveted. Like she, what we learn is that she really covets Amira and like wants to possess parts of her 
existence in like a really weird way so I to me that's what she was trying to say like Amir's going to become Alex's little project to prove that like her and her family are not racist yeah yeah that's what it felt like to me yeah that's a good reading of that the next chapter is actually a little bit of backstory on Amira oh yeah where she's she's from Maryland and I thought that she captured just people of this age right now and, and you know the more I kept reading this the more I was like oh this this title works in so many different ways when I first read such a fun age I was thinking about that first scene and about how somebody could say oh Briar's three such a fun age like it should be out babysitting you know you're babysitting and you're having fun with somebody with a girl like that she's such a what a fun age but then it's like this sort of weird irony of you know like oh like you're in your 20s such a fun age and all this terrible shit happens to you <laughs> like, oh like 26 is so fun like yeah. actually i have like i'm having existential crisis yeah. i don't know what i'm supposed yeah. to do with my whole entire life yeah. who am i so amira yeah, yeah i mean I, amira is experiencing what i think a lot of people are experiencing right now which is she graduates college she her parents are putting some pressure on her to figure out what she wants to do with her life she tries going to school for transcription which she hates. I think it, there's this thing where she's she's not allowed to cross her legs. And when she starts working for Green Party Philadelphia, the woman says, can you really type 125 words? And she says, I can, as long as you don't make me cross my legs. She's like, I just, just let me be comfortable and do what I want to do here. God. <laughs> so we, we learn like, yeah, you know, she's looking for a job. She's working part-time doing this transcription stuff for Green Party Philadelphia. So then the rest of the week she decides in a quiet panic which I thought was a great way. Like she's running out of money. She ups her availability on SitterTown.com and then she meets Alex and starts babysitting Briar. I, I love this little relationship that they have, the way that she likes Briar because she's just sort of weird and, and different. She asks questions like, why can't I smell that? <laughs> or how come we don't know that lady? Like these really <laughs> funny little things. <laughs> And then, yeah, yeah, you know, she's she's very nervous to, you know, tell her parents like, hey, I'm, you know, making my money from babysitting. But then she has this thought that keeps bouncing in her head. You need a real job. Get a real job. And after the incident at the grocery store, I thought it was really interesting that the thought that she has in her head is this wouldn't have happened if you had a real fucking job, she tells herself. Uh, and and trying to balance that pressure and like, you know, she, she clearly doesn't know what she wants to do with her life at the moment. And that anxiety sort of pressing itself upon this incident that had nothing to do with that is I think really well done and, and develops her character in a really nice way I think. Yeah I think it is actually kind of like what we're I think reckoning with right now society about like who are essential workers what is a respectable job yep. and there's something that Amira had been told that it's like oh being a babysitter being a caregiver is not respectable and like in, in some way, her brain unconsciously is saying, like, I deserve this. Like, someone in this position will be scrutinized in this way. So if I wasn't something that was more upwardly mobile, something that was more respectable, more professional, I wouldn't be at, you know, the whims of casual racism. Right. Which right. is a sad thought, but yeah. a very a true, a true one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Those two things being tied together is, yeah. I mean, it's just, a, it's like a, such a sad thought to me, too, that, yeah, you feel like, well, I can escape an incident like that if I just work a real job when which actually isn't even yeah is not true no yeah so after that little bit of backstory we're, we're closing in on the last 50 pages here so Alex is very unsettled by everything so she starts talking to her her mom friend group they have you know like a text group and you know she talks to uh -huh. everybody uh, and she she doesn't know how to handle things and so she she feels a little guilty that she doesn't have more of a relationship with Amira so that she can then confront this incident 
there's something where you know her friends keep saying call her like just like call her and offer her your support you know say i'm sorry that this happened and how can i support you and i thought there was a great line at some point in time where it says something like she wouldn't have been so nervous about it if it wouldn't be the longest conversation that she and amira had had and i thought oh. that was such an interesting insight of like you know she's she's beating herself up for not having more of a relationship and it's what you were saying she is in this weird way trying to possess her and this to me though is where i saw it start and uh -huh. i think had after this scene where she's talking to her friends and they're saying lend your support or something i think if there she had had that realization wake up you know write your book live in the moment get to know her i feel like that that would have been placed better for me and I think that mostly comes down to just the pace of that chapter with Alex. It was like so much about her and about being a mom and about moving to Philadelphia. And then it just was crammed at the end there. Oh, and I feel like yeah. I needed a scene where she was thinking about Amira much, much more to, to get to that point. That's super nitpicky though. That really was like mm -hmm. the only thing. So she, she she's getting ready for Briar's third birthday party and she's worried that Amira won't come and babysit uh, among other things. Mm -hmm. But one of these just great great scenes to me of like you see this character you know really sweating like how do i do this how do i make this phone call and then she calls amira who doesn't answer and then she calls her again and she realizes that she's trying to say you know like i'm so sorry what do you need then amira is like still asleep <laughs> it's like 9 14 in the morning she's like what well, in fact you know they're talking and amira's like wait am i late and she's like no 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 it's only 9 15. you don't need to be here for another couple hours and she's like oh okay cool <laughs> like, okay. Like i'm so worried about it amira does end up coming to this birthday party and the characters that are in this party again we're really closing in there's only you know a couple more pages the characters in this party are very funny to me and and alex clearly feels out of place there's all these you know kind of phony people and yeah it's weird though because it feels like it's not just that they're phony people it's that they're not alex's phony people like i'm sure she hung out with a bunch of really phony people in new york and all of this but they're in a new place now and these are more her husband's friends but then mostly she starts to worry that she's worried that amira will think that these are her friends that this is the kind of person yeah. that she is so this is where we start to see that a little bit of like she's so self-conscious about what amira thinks of her yeah it becomes really maladaptive but it is it, it's yeah it, it's disproportionate to like the relationship and it feels in a, it, yeah it's in, it just feels inappropriate like it yeah. makes me feel like when i read that i was like oh it's kind of icky the way she so obsessively cares about what like trying to seem cool enough for amira and it's just like yeah it yeah. only escalates from there yeah yeah and and yeah i think we we get a little inkling too of what you were saying about her and, and briar i think that she's just not enjoying this birthday party and th there's a there's a part too where she's she was trying to figure out what to make the party you know she doesn't really quite know what briar likes and uh, i oh, wish no. i could so find sad. the like list of things that she likes was really funny oh yeah if the decision had been briars the theme of her party would have been glasses because she was really really into glasses she ends up going with airplanes because she likes the sound of that, but her other interests were not party appropriate, including smelling tea bags, other people's belly buttons, touching the soft skin on mama's earlobe. <laughs> like, so even there, she's like so worried, like, yeah, like, what does my daughter like that I can make a party out of? <laughs> but then at the same time, the only thing that she knows is that she likes smelling tea bags. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> okay, like, how can we make this inclusive for everybody at the party? Yeah, so... 
So as we get to sort of the end of things there, the, the one thing I think is interesting to note is that people from Peter's news station come and they show them, you know, that the, the glass has been broken and they kind of think it's funny. There's sort of little underlying sort of unsettling seed of kind of like hazing. Like, yeah, you said your first racist thing and somebody threw a brick through your window. Welcome to the party, everybody. Like, uh, okay. Yeah, it's like, oh, this, this happens. This is a thing that we do then. Yeah. This is fine. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, but so then we we come to the the end of those pages, sort of in mid scene. Usually, I find when I do books on the podcast, around fifty pages is where there's a chapter break or something. This one wasn't there. We're sort of uh -huh. in the middle of this party scene, but that is where those yeah. first fifty pages ended. So, so yeah, we're here. Is there any part that you that I missed that you want to talk about? Any moments or anything that I didn't mention worth talking about? I mean, I think those are. I think we hit all the big themes, all the things that really stood out to me. So you you did this for your book club, even you know going back after these first fifty pages. Sounds like this is you want to delve in. Oh, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I was already I I was already very invested in this. I think actually what really got me was the exploration of Amira's life at Temple. Like just hearing about her and her kind of ambiguity about what she wanted to do with her life. What I thought was really interesting, and that that really got me. I think. Yeah, yeah, that that was under. that was one of the moments where I felt more connected to Amira than I did being a parent and living in the suburbs. That I was like, yes, yeah. I know this feeling. Okay, I got this. I'm not yeah. uncool yet. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still young. <laughs> I still don't know what I want to do. Yeah, great. <laughs> yes, like in between. Yeah, those two phases. So, they're so different, but there really aren't that many years apart, which is yep. wild. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was definitely a delve in. The first time you read it, did it take to that point for you to feel like, oh yeah, I'm definitely going to keep reading this? Or was it after that first chapter that you were like, no way I'm putting this down? Yeah, you know, really the, the first chapter left me wanting to know more what was going to happen. And then I think with Alex's story, I was like, all right, where's, where's this really going? And then what really interested me was also the dynamic between Amira and this like coveting kind of thing that was happening with Alex interested me. But yeah, I was after the first chapter, I was like, yes. Yeah. What's this book about? That second chapter to me felt like I wonder if there was a draft of this novel where she didn't have a big backstory about Alex. Maybe it was like, you know, a little bit compressed and yeah. that to make that relationship work and to give Alex a little more character that she wanted to go back and do that. So I think it's interesting. We're, we're very much introduced to Amira in scene. We're introduced to her just right in the moment of getting this phone call yeah. having to go babysit and we do get some backstory but still there is some scene to it and her backstory is three pages that chapter is only a couple pages compared to alex's so clearly yes. she had a, a really good scene to set amira in so we could learn stuff about her but i just wonder again this is my like this is my theory that this all started off as a short story and then she wrote this novel and Somewhere along the way, yeah. either she or her editor said, maybe go back and give a little more, you know, back to her, or her workshop class said, what's up with Alex? Why is she so weird? Like, what is she, how did you get yeah. to this place? Yeah, that was a big problem that my book club had with this book was that Alex had a much more robust, full backstory than mm -hmm. Amira did. Yeah. Which then we kind of debated, was that intention? And I think, I think it was intentional. And what's interesting about that chapter on Alex, like, actually isn't the most important part of her backstory, mm. we've come to find out. Like, as much as she spent time explaining her career, like, that part of Alex's past actually isn't the most important thing that we learned. Tintillating. Interesting. Yes. <laughs> I, I did not very keep reading after 50 pages, so very interesting. Oh, oh my gosh. I, I'm excited to read this. <laughs> uh, it's, like, so good. Things, things like this 
are usually my, my genre of things is very much like what you were saying earlier and people listen to the podcast they know the kind of stuff that I like this is I, I think one of those sort of rare things that I, I would delve in in this this isn't yeah. usually my kind of thing I usually don't like very realistic stories the thing that would keep me from reading this actually is this weird feeling of, of this new parent thing is kind of hitting too close to home in a little bit. I don't have yeah. as much separation from that. There were parts of that that felt very, you know, like Alex is trying to keep herself motivated while being, you know, a parent. And, you know, obviously she has two kids, and so it's a little bit different. But even that stuff was like it was it was sort of a weird personal reckoning to feel myself more connected to her than Amira. And that was less a race thing and more an age thing for me it was like oh god i'm not the like yeah. cool 26 year old i'm the <laughs> the person with two kids and the suburb kind of thing so you know that's a silly thing but but oh, that's I so think, interesting yeah. i think this is well written i think it's compelling i like her writing just in general i like the way she writes and I've, i'm finding that stuff on the podcast that i've read where it does take place in modern times and you know the stuff that we've talked about with technology or the way people talk i'm finding i like that stuff did you did your book club read normal people by any chance oh we didn't read normal people no we read the um conversations with friends oh so. okay i i, I yeah. haven't read conversations but i did do normal people it was like the second book we did on the podcast and it's you know it's about two teenagers in ireland and it definitely takes place now there's a little bit less technology in that book but it feels very much like you you can read it in 10 years and be like ah oh, this was a book that took place in the late 2010s early 2020 like you know it feels like that but i liked it i liked those characters i liked the way they talked to each other i thought it was really authentic and that's the way i feel about this but i would keep reading more yeah. for amira than for alex and i think it's interesting your book club debated about about that did everybody in your book club like it yes we everyone loved it but i will say that i feel like we we all had different relationships to it of mm -hmm. course with different yeah. people but i you know as a black person and as with the other black women in the group kind of what we shared well i shared this that i felt like i had never read a book that was such a nuanced portrayal of the black experience and also of the perception of like white liberalism all of the relationships to white people that amira had in the book i have had before and i never saw them written down like this i was like wait so other people like have felt this way and <laughs> i do wonder about this book and that like it shows how complicated our idea of liberalism is and like people who really think that they're with it and woke and like doing the right thing are actually cause a ton of harm and I think that's the interesting thing about this book. Like, I don't know how this book would have, this wouldn't have been written in this way, even like 10 years ago, I don't really think. Yeah. We weren't really thinking about like what white allyship looked like. It's now so much more complicated. So I think that actually might be the, like even more the technology might be the thing that, well, I mean, hopefully it will only evolve from, from here around yeah. like what true allyship means. But it was just so compelling to me. I was like, I felt these things and I never had a name for what this was, yeah. what this relationship was, or like, like this person seems like they care about me and they're doing the right thing, but like something about it feels kind of icky and I don't know what that is exactly. Yeah. And then she put it down, you know? Yeah. I think that that is such a difficult thing to write too. I mean, if you said to somebody, I want to write a novel about white allyship and how toxic it can be. I feel like that could just come across as a little too much. Like it could be a little too much. It could be on there a little thick. I think that her strength yeah. as a writer really carries this. And I think that she paints these characters really well. You know, I, I again, I, as much as Alex got a little bit more, I at least felt like I knew her. I at least felt like I knew 
how she would react in situations. I sympathized with her in some things. You know, I, I disliked other things that she did. You know, they're well-rounded characters. And they I are. think that it comes from that first. I feel like she she wrote this focusing on the characters first, and I'm sure there's more more later with more characters coming in, rather than sitting down and saying, I want to write a book about this, about white allyship, or about what, you know, like, it, it comes across more in the relationships of the characters, and then those things work, and they evolve, and then somebody like you can have a moment where they say, somebody else has experienced this, holy shit, like, I know this relationship. Yeah. That, to me, is what will make this book timeless. That's what will make yeah. this worth rereading again in 10 years. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter that somebody says the word thirsty or that they're Snapchatting, like who cares? That feeling, you and I are already talking about how this feels like five years ago. Like yeah. it's, it's going to endure after that. And, and to me, that's a reason for delving in. That's a reason to keep reading among just mm -hmm. the fact that I really think she's a good writer too. So I just really appreciate yeah. that part of things. I think she, she really did well. So yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We do a thing at the bookstore called Blind Date with a Book, where we wrap up a book and you're supposed to pick three titles that are sort of similar to that book. And then it's a surprise inside. So I always like to ask guests, does this book sort of remind you of other things? Like if there's somebody listening that says, I think this kind of sounds interesting, you know, what other titles could you compare this to that somebody might say, oh, I read that, so I will like this. Oh, wow. That's such a hard question. <laughs> I don't know. I've never read anything like this book. Wow. You know, for months and months, I was like preaching the good word about this book. I was like, go get a this book. But I would just say that it was just so good and so compelling, and I couldn't describe it. Yeah. <gasps> I don't know. Wait, do you have any? There, there is one that I think it's, and you know, it doesn't have to be exactly right there. Something I actually read for the podcast, which was December's bestseller, so, so really close and actually won the Booker Prize last year, which was Girl, Woman, Other. Oh. Similar to that to me in a way. So there's a character in that book that's the main character. It's her daughter who oh. is the big difference of those books is that that all takes place in London and this takes place in the United States. So culturally, just sort of a different background. You know, the characters in that book, there's so many layers of like, I didn't end up wanting to delve into that book. Uh -huh. And it was just the way it was written was very different too. It moved very fast. And you get these like little snapshots of characters. This is a much more traditional linear narrative. Yeah. But, but particularly the main character's daughter in that is, again, like a young... Her mom is gay and she had a gay friend who gave her the, the sperm. And so she has like a dad. It is her dad, but you know, they're not like, then her dad has like a boyfriend. There's all these layers to it. But the way that she talks and the way that character is felt very similar to that. There's some different themes yeah. and stuff in that book. But I do think if you're somebody who read Girl, Woman, Other and enjoyed it, I do think that you would enjoy this book. Oh, interesting. Do you feel like there are any parallels in Little Fires Everywhere to this at all? Do you think that if somebody read that one, they'd like this? Yeah, I think so. I mean, a similar kind of juxtaposition of brown or black family in a predominantly white environment mm -hmm. and like what has to be like reckoned with. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I like the character of Alex much more than some of the characters were written in, in Little Fires Everywhere. I didn't love Little Fires Everywhere. Oh, yeah. I think it's because some of those characters, they were a little over the top or there wasn't any room for them to be a person. It was just like you knew they were always going to do the shitty racist thing, you know, and, and yeah. there's not a lot of nuance to the way that they did. But 
Yeah. But yeah, but I think if you did enjoy, <laughs> that being said, if you did enjoy Little yeah. Fires Everywhere, I think that would also be a good comp. I mean, anything. See, that's in, a good comparison. I think anything in Reese Witherspoon's book club, too. If you're already a fan of the stuff that she's picking, then. Yeah, for sure. One more question, real quick. Would you like to see this as a TV show? Yes. Mm. I was looking that up. I was like. <laughs> <laughs> I was like googling like because in my you know when, when I read a book I create the person yeah. so I'm thinking like I wanted to see if the actress who I thought would play Alex Amir and Kelly like I thought yeah I want to know if someone had even in like a fan a Tumblr fan fiction of like who these actors could be <laughs> you know <laughs> I think this would be a great show I have been but, on I have been on the uh, the kick of I don't want books like this turned into TV shows lately. They turn normal people into a TV show. I haven't watched it, and I just think... I watched all I, of it. I don't think I'm going to like it, but it's because I think that a book like this works so much better as, as a book than it does a TV show. That being said, out of a lot of the things that I've read yeah. lately for the podcast, I think this could work as a TV show a little bit better because the characters are a little bit more nuanced and stuff. Like, you know, I don't think that hopefully they wouldn't write Alex in a way that just feels overtly like, creepy. Like you, you would actually kind of, you want to root for their relationship sometimes just as a reader. And like, you, you want that, you want that feeling of, yes, I mm -hmm. want this relationship to work in some way. And the fact that it doesn't, or there's something off about it is what's interesting and what's compelling. Yeah. But things get lost in translation in a TV show. I think that we lose some of the nuance and some of the good writing, and, and then it just turns into like, oh, yo, that woman's creepy. <laughs> like, oh, no, yeah. Because this character, Alex, is, is not like Reese's normal or her, her like, her, lately, her kind of yeah. shtick of like, um, who is she in Big Little Lies or even her character in um, Little Fires Little Everywhere. Fires like, that's, everywhere not, yeah. that's not who Alex is. Yeah. She's a lot more, yeah, complicated and insecure yeah. and confused and uncertain than that. And, yeah, I would be worried a TV show would make it a little more reductive. I mean, you, you want to genuinely yeah. believe that what she thinks that she can get from Amira, she thinks will help her and will help Amira. It's just that it's not the right way to go about it. It's not yeah. the, And that's the interesting thing about this book is to sort of call that out and say, like, yeah, this is the thing that doesn't work. Yeah, uh, and, she and, has really good intentions. Like she really wants to do right by everybody, no. but yeah, very disillusioned in how she yeah. goes about it. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if they do make it into the the thing about the Reese Witherspoon book club is that is a its own entity doesn't exist. It's part of her bigger umbrella thing called Hello Sunshine, which is a production company. Oh. It's a book club. It's like all the it's like a bigger thing. Like if you Google Reese Witherspoon Book Club, I think what comes up is Hello Sunshine and it's this big thing. Oh, it's got book recommendations yeah. and T V shows and like it's what she she does. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on and, and talking about this book. Is there anything you want to give a little shout out to? Oh my gosh, I don't know. I, I don't have anything to promote. I mean, you know, just stay safe, everyone. Find things that can, you know, keep you sane in this crazy time. I mean, this is a fun outlet for me, too. Like, this is such a creative, fun venture. So I'm appreciative of you thinking of me and oh, inviting me. Like, yeah. Fun. Risa, yeah. it was so funny before we recorded, she was like, you should contact Jasmine now and say, I'm giving you the opportunity to shout something out at the end. And I was like, I don't know, maybe that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> but but then she's gonna hear this. She's gonna be mad at me. She's like, you should have reached out to her before because you oh. you, you, you surprised her. So sorry in advance. I don't future, think I have so. anything to promote though. Like I don't know. Just you could. Yeah, I don't know, man. Maybe I should create something that I can promote for myself. Like you, for now, things like this. 
you were recently you were doing something at the hospital where you were and Risa had showed me the video. Was it were they like broadcasting you on sort of the closed circuit part of oh, the yeah. of things at the hospital and you were doing yeah. songs, right? Yes, exactly. We have a, a TV station called Kids Zone TV and yes. it's a closed circuit station for inside the hospital and I have a show every week called Cafe Music with Jasmine and I feel like acoustic covers of songs and I try to do different themes so I for a while I had like we did protest songs we did a I had a Juneteenth show and I did a Beatles show and then this last week was Disney which Disney was like the Ah, biggest hit of them all so I think I need to do Disney part two so maybe that's what I'll promote follow KZTV can can other people can people watch this while it's happening? It won't be live, but they... Well, actually, they do sometimes do Instagram lives or they'll do, like, little clips afterwards. Cool. Yeah. Does yeah, it, have it to, is cool. Is it, is it through the hospital's page or is it a different thing? It's its own page. But cool. I think there's a Mount Sinai Child Life Instagram page and there's something that has, like, different links to KZTV. But KZTV Live, its own TV station, Instagram KZTV page. to hear Jasmine sing Let It Go for three hours. Yes, that's exactly what's there. <laughs> <laughs> Follow. Please like I, and subscribe. I, I know this is what's happening because this is what Risa does. Risa, is, she was obsessed yeah. with uh, Lost in the Woods from Frozen 2. I think that that was, she said she hasn't gotten a lot of requests from Frozen 2, but she was like, I need to know that song. <laughs> okay. You know, we have the opposite thing where I, ha- I get requests for Frozen 2 all the time and oh. I haven't seen it. Oh, and yeah. And it it's becoming a really big problem. It is not, it's not that great. The first Frozen is like a seven and a half it. out of ten for me, and the second one is like a seven. It's not. It's not great. It's not bad. It's yeah. fine. It's it's fine. I just gotta learn the music. Yeah. Everyone keeps asking for Into the Unknown. I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't know that song. Sounds sounds pretty good, yeah. but Lost in the Woods is is great. The way it's done in the movie is it's like totally like a like an '80s power ballad is like the way the song sounds and it's Jonathan Groff who's got a great voice but it's like it was like oh, it's like that yeah. super 80s like modulation at the end but in the movie it's very much animated that way there's you know like Kristoff is singing and there's four reindeer heads behind him harmonizing it's it's really funny it's very clever the way they do it it's sort of a little oh, wow. shout out for I think for some of the parents that that would appreciate yes. it so as well. yeah. yeah so well thank you so much Jasmine for doing this it is it's yeah. Yes. It is 11.30 at night, so I really oh appreciate you doing that. Oh, God, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. It's 9.42. It's fine. We're good. We're good. Yes, right on time. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jasmine. Uh, that's a delving yes, for her and, and a delving for me, too. I sort of went into this book feeling like, I'm going to like this, but it's going to be one of those. And I'm like, nah, but I honestly, I would keep reading, so... Thank you, Jasmine. That's a good night for me, good night from Jasmine, and a good night from Briar smelling the little bags of tea. Good night to fire. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Jasmine. And with that, another Furthermore episode comes to a close. Hey, it's me, Andy. Furthermore was written by Andy Dorado. It is produced by Andy Dorado. It is not edited by Andy Dorado. This is another episode edited by Laura Calabrese. Laura, thank you so much for all your hard work. It sounds great. Remember, Furthermore has an Instagram. Yeah. People still use Instagram. Furthermore does. Remember Instagram? You remember it too. It's at Furthermore Podcast, all one word. You can find us there. We're posting lots of fun stuff on there. Any new episode, info, all that stuff goes right on our Instagram there. So go and give us a follow if you haven't already. 
All the artwork for Furthermore is done by Max Farinato. You can find him on Instagram. Remember, Instagram people, you, yeah, okay, we do this. Um, Max is on Instagram at cbartist underscore. He has a lot of great illustrations and fun stuff. And he also has a website where you can buy prints and check out some of his other artwork. That is at maxfarinto.com, maxfarinato.com. Max, thank you so much for all your great artwork. Uh, okay, so oh, again, this is where I usually give you guys a book recommendation that I read last year that month, but gosh, I can't even remember that far back now. So I was trying to go through and highlight some series. Last uh, time I talked about a detective series, I'm going to give you guys another one. There was a whole big grouping of books by uh, an author named Gary Corby, who's actually a professor of Greek history at the University of Sydney. He has some fantastic novels uh, set in ancient Greece. They're mystery novels. Uh, the first one is called The Pericles Commission, um, and it features our, our plucky detective, Nicolaus. Well, well, there's just a lot of really fun stuff. It's so well-researched, so well just done, and um, the historical accuracy of it is just out of control. I love reading books in, in weird times, and if there's a detective story to go along with it, it's great, even better. I think he's got seven books in this series now, so if you're looking for something, again, just maybe to turn your brain off and read through a little bit, and you want something set in a different time period, I, I feel like I've gotten a little bit more into historical fiction over the last year. I, I, I don't know why, and I wouldn't even really call that historical fiction, but there you go. Um, I really want to thank Jasmine for coming on. She is a busy person. She's out there doing some really fantastic work, uh, and I really thank you so much, Jasmine. I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're staying healthy. I'm sure by now you've gotten your vaccine, so uh, props to you on that, and thank you again for all the hard work you're doing. Thank you for listening to this episode of Furthermore. Remember to check us out on Instagram. Go give some stuff a like. Tune in for the next episode, which will be coming out soon. This is Andy Dorado, and hey, Keep reading. If we were an accident, I'll swear you to the stars. Regression's just a point on a line we call a scar. I made a vow to care.